Come on, give him a praise. You got a mic. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. It's wonderful to be with you. Thank you, Pastor Gary. I understand you all have been uh, having the wind of God, huh? <laughs> At least some wind. But uh, it's great being with you. We are excited about what God's got in store for us. Thank you, Pastor, for allowing us to come and, and minister. Some of you I've met before. Some of you I've not. Let me take just a quick moment and introduce my family here. Um, Kim and I have been married for just over 28 years. Met, Amen. Uh, that's an accomplishment anymore, isn't it? But uh, we, we met in Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. I actually grew up down in Newport News. Kim grew up in Kansas City area. We met in Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, graduated from there in 1986 and began traveling. So we're coming up to 26 years been traveling around the world as missionary evangelists, and God has done some wonderful and awesome things. One of the greatest things that we've received personally is this little thing right here, this little girl. How I many you know all children are a blessing from God, a miracle of God? But, uh, doctors told Kim and I it was medically impossible for us to have children. Uh, through genetic defect and several different things, they said you never will have children, but God had promised us. In 1989, the audible voice of the Lord came to Kim and said, I will make you a Hannah. In 1991, she had a visitation from the Lord, and in that experience, the Lord said, you're going to have a daughter, and her name will be Shekinah. Remember, the Hebrew word for the glory of God is Shekinah. It said that God is going to give you a child, and she's going to have the glory of God on her, and also be a sign that God's releasing His glory in the earth in a fresh way. So in early 2001, I was in Karachi, Pakistan. Kim and I normally are everywhere together in ministry. She was not on that particular trip because of money, we thought. But I was in Karachi, Pakistan, helping to train church planners for the Muslim world. And Kim had a doctor's appointment. We had not uh, recently, we moved from Missouri back to Hampton, Virginia. And uh, she had a doctor's appointment, just a checkup. And as a baseline, they ran a pregnancy test and found out that after 17 years of never being pregnant, they said, Mrs. Klein, you're going to have a baby. So Kim called and woke me up at 5.30 in the morning in Karachi, Pakistan, and said, Shekinah's on the way. So Shekinah's now 10 years old. Let me see, you've been, uh, you've been keeping track of airplanes. How many airplanes have you been on now? 321. 321 airplanes. Uh, she's been to Europe with us three times. She had her first birthday in Europe, her second birthday in Europe, and her 10th birthday in Europe. Uh, so we've been traveling and ministering all over. Uh, we're going to be going this fall. We're going to be in Australia. In fact, probably have her 11th birthday in Australia. But uh, wonderful things that God is doing. We're excited that God is moving throughout the earth. But you know what? As, as we were watching that, that um, presentation on America on July 4th, I agree, Pastor. Kim and I have been all over the world, and we agree this is the greatest nation on earth. And we need God to bring a fresh move of his spirit to this nation. And so uh, wonderful things happening. Look, I could talk a lot, but I want to get to the word here in a moment. But these last few weeks, we just got back, what, Monday night, Tuesday night? Wednesday night, that's right. We got back Wednesday night. We've been gone for the last two and a half months. Uh, so we've been to Missouri, to Mexico, to Canada, to California. Kim and Shekinah just flew back from California on Monday. And over the last few weeks, Shekinah's gotten to go to a couple of camps. Some of you possibly heard of a ministry called IHOP, the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, led by a minister named Mike Bickle. Well, Shekinah went to their Signs and Wonders Kids Camp where they believe that God is raising up not just adults but children 
to release the signs and wonders of God. And then last week she was in Redding, California. There's a church there called Bethel Church, a pastor named Bill Johnson. And they had a kids camp. It was based on the Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, they, they, they went into the tent and pretended it was the, the cupboard or what, not the cupboard, the, the, the wardrobe, and, and getting equipped. But God, God did a lot of wonderful things. Shekinah's been traveling with us uh, at, at two years old, accepted Jesus, three years old, filled with the Spirit, five years old, started laying hands on the sick and seeing them healed, seven years old, began prophesying with us. And not that we, you know, we think she's pretty special, but you know what? God is raising up a generation. Of, of young people are going to move in the power of God. But she had uh, a couple of, of very um, in, intense encounters with Jesus in this, youth, this children's camp just a week ago. And so I'm going to ask her just in her own simple words to tell you about these encounters, well, at least one of them, that, that you had with Jesus. So it's okay. You just share what's on your heart. I had two encounters. The first one, it was in the camp at California. The first one, I saw Jesus, and he looked at me. He came straight at me and said, don't try to be like anyone else. I made you just like you are. I really love you, like how you are. And then he stepped inside of me. That was my first encounter. My second encounter was I saw Jesus, well, this is the California one, too. I saw Jesus standing on the sun, and then he flew down and got me. Then we were rolling around in the sky. Then he, then we both landed on the sun, and then he said, I know your family is going through some troubles, but I'm always there with you, and I will always be there with you. Hallelujah. Isn't that precious? Jesus is visiting us again in a special way. And so we're excited what God's going to do. Kim's going to share very quickly something God did out in California for her as well. They want to get to the Word. Look, we want you to know this. Our, our heart today is not to impress you or entertain you. How many of you know we're not to be impressed with man anyway? And so much of the church has been filled with people trying to impress somebody with their gifts or their abilities. We want with you to see Jesus to, to become more like him, to fall in love with him over again, and to allow him to touch our lives. So open your hearts to what God has for us today. So before I go to the Word, Kim, why don't you share? She kind of let's go take this. Oh, it is good being here. I've actually looked very forward to this service. Um, and, you know, God did something special for me as well. Um, everything. Well, we have been going through some financial problems. I just thought that was so precious that Jesus speaks to Shekinah about this stuff and that, you know, it's all right. You know, he's going to take care of us all. So that's an awesome thing. Isn't it a wonderful word to get from the Lord, especially through your child? And so I know that God is working, but to set that all up, um, we were going to California for her to go to the camp. And Russ and I um, were going to go um, out there as well. And they had a conference going on at the church there during that time. It was kind of like icing on the cake. If you know, We were basically going out for her to do the camp. But since they were doing a conference, we were going to do it as well. 
Well, um, at the last minute, um, Russ could not go, but we had already paid the registration fees for the conference. And um, so Russ called. He was doing a revival in Arkansas. And Russ called, and he called the church, and he said, now my wife can still come, but I cannot come. Um, can we go ahead and get the refund because things have been a bit tight? And um, they said, nope, sorry, can't do that. And how many of you have ever had a problem with your attitude before? That irritated me. That irritated me pretty good. And I was like, what is wrong with those people? There's no reason they cannot give a refund for one of them if he can't come. But they said, nope. They said, you can give it to somebody else if you want, but we don't do refunds. Well, so I'm irritated. I walk around irritated for a while. And then I started thinking, you know what? I'm going out there. And I'm going to go to a conference to have encounters with the Lord. And if I have a bad attitude about the place, you know, even to start with, I'm not going to receive a thing. And even if I don't agree with their policy, I need to get my act together here. And you know what? We all go through situations like that where some things just are not the way that you wanted them to go. But we need to get our act together and say, okay, Lord, what do you want to do through this? And so that's what I did. And so I'm being real honest with you. I don't normally tell people that I get irritated like that. But, you know, I think everyone probably does. And so I said, okay, Lord, forgive me for my bad attitude. And, Lord, I just really want to know what you want me to do with that other registration. They said we can give it away. And so the Lord gives me a dream. And in the dream, I walk up to a woman I couldn't see how old she was. I couldn't even see her face, but I knew her name. Her name was Margaret. And I looked at this Margaret in the dream, even though I could not see her. I said, the Lord God Almighty told me that I am supposed to pay for your registration. Be blessed. And I handed her the registration materials in the dream. That was it. I mean, it was a very simple little dream. So I woke up and thought, okay. Margaret. Well, you know, you're trying in your own natural mind to figure out Margaret. Now, Margaret sounds to me like an older lady. I don't know about you, but it just kind of sounds like somebody that was named Margaret back, you know, a long time ago. Not a young lady, but, you know, an older lady, Margaret. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I guess it could be a Maggie. So maybe it could be young, but Margaret? Okay, Margaret. So I'm waiting in the registration line at the church there in California. Now, I've got my attitude straightened out. I want to receive from the Lord, and I go and wait in the pre-register, the one that we've already pre-registered, which is the big line there. I waited for 45 minutes. It's a very large church. So I waited in 45 minutes to go up and just get the materials because I'd already pre-registered. So I go up there, and I walk up to the desk, and I felt like the Lord wanted me to do this. And she says, oh, Russ and Kim Klein. She types in our names. And I didn't say a word. So she hands me two of the notebooks, two of this, two of everything. And she says, go enjoy the conference. And so then I look over to the new registration line, a few people that had not pre-registered. I couldn't believe it. I look over there. There's only five people in the new registration line. Where there was a 45-minute wait in my line, there's five people standing there. And I think two of them were guys. And they all look young, too. I'm thinking, they don't look like a Margaret to me. And yet I walk over to the line, took a deep breath in, and I looked at them, these three young ladies in their 20s probably, and I said, which one of you happens to be Margaret? And this girl looks at me and goes, me? 
<laughs> and I said, well, Margaret, the Lord told me that I'm supposed to do this. I've paid for your registration, and here's your stuff. Well, Margaret starts the ball, and she is crying. Now, I tell you what, my heart was beating a little fast because I'm thinking none of these people look like a Margaret to me, and yet here this lady standing there, this girl standing there, her name is Margaret, and she goes, you don't understand what just happened. She said, you know, I came in, I came into this church for a worship conference they're going to do. I'm a worship leader in my church, and I came in a week early for it, and I spent every dime I had to get here for the worship worship conference but here I have this week and people started lining up at the church and so I asked somebody why are people lining up here and they said well there's a conference that's going to be happening and she said well I want to go to the conference and she checked and she had no money whatsoever to pay for a registration fee and so she said Lord I came out here by faith anyway I'm going to stand in the new registration line and by the time I get up to the desk I'm going to ask you and have faith that it's going to be paid for somehow before I get to the counter Now, when I had the dream, she didn't even know about the conference. So God already knew, of course. And so here she is, three people away from the counter. And I walk up and I say, which one of you happens to be Margaret? And God absolutely did such a work in her that it was just so cool to see her. By the end of the conference, she was just glowing. She said, I have never felt so favored by God in my life. And God wants us to do that. And see how God can turn around here. I started out the whole thing with a really bad attitude because I did not agree with their policy. And yet God said, hey, you know what? I may have a little different idea here if you just let me do it through you. And God had his way. And I think that's a word to all of us. Let God have his way. Even when we don't agree with this or that, even when we get fussy about stuff, say, okay, God, forgive me for the attitude. Use me now. Use me. Okay. All right, test one, why don't you pull my, there we go. All right, thanks Kim, I appreciate it. You know, God is amazing the way he knows exactly what's going on in our lives and brings people along to bless us. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us now. God, we ask that you would anoint me to share what is on your heart. Lord, these precious men and women here, the young people, they don't need to hear my opinions. God, we need to hear a word from your throne. So God, we ask that you would speak to us. Spirit of God, make, make known to us Jesus. Lord, accomplish the, the, the Father's will and heart in us and through us. Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And Lord, we pray that you would raise up an army, raise up a church, Lord, that is going to march through the land and see the kingdom of God released and established for your glory and your honor. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grab your Bibles, if you would. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. I want to talk for a little bit while about going in and possessing the promised land. God bringing forth a Joshua generation. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses is calling the people of Israel before him. You remember the story, how Israel had become enslaved in the land of Egypt. And in the midst of their slavery, in the midst of all that was going on, they began to cry out to God for freedom and deliverance. And when God hears the cry of people that are oppressed, people that are in bondage to sin, sickness, and sorrow, God doesn't turn a deaf ear. When we cry out to God, he hears and he sends a deliverer. He sent Moses to bring deliverance to the people of Israel. 
Jesus brought deliverance to the world. And you look at what the, what the enemy did. Each time a deliverer was sent, the enemy tried to take out the young generation each time to get that deliverance anointing out of the way. Do you know that there is a deliverance anointing God's bringing forth in the young generation? God is raising up men and women, young people, that are going to be a voice to the nation, a voice to the nations to bring freedom. And so Satan doesn't want that, so he is after every young person he can. And whether it's by abortion, whether it's by drugs, whether it's by immorality, whatever it is, the enemy is after the young generation, but God is raising up a young generation that are not just going to survive the attack of the enemy, they're going to rise on the offensive against the enemy. But we see that God brought forth Moses to bring deliverance. So through signs and wonders, you know the story of the, the ten plagues and all that happened. God set the people of Israel free. And so there's an anointing of freedom that God wants to bring. As the second Corinthians, I believe it is, says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom. Kim and Shekinah and I preach a lot in Ireland and England, some of the Celtic nations. You get over there and start talking about freedom and God, the next thing you know, they're all on their feet chanting, Freedom! Freedom! You ready? Ready for them to paint themselves blue or something? Some you'll catch us, some won't. That's all right. But there's freedom that comes in Christ. And so God brought the people of Israel out of bondage. In a very short order, God brought them to the point of the promised land. Remember this? They sent 12 spies in the land. All 12 came back saying it's a great land, but 10 of them said there are giants in the land. And no matter what God has promised, there's too much arrayed against us. We cannot enter into our destiny. God cannot fulfill his promise because the problems are too big. Have you ever felt like God's promises to you are a pipe dream? Just out of reach. They, they, they almost feel like God's dangling in front of you as a carrot, getting you to run after but never letting you partake of God's promise and blessing. You see, the, the, uh, the wilderness generation believed the negative report of the ten spies. They were a people of doubt and unbelief. And because of their doubt and unbelief, God said, I'm not going to bring this people into destiny. I'll take care of you because I love you, but you're not going to fulfill destiny. I want to submit to you that the church in America in this last generation, God's taken care of us. He freed us out of sin. He's fed us in the wilderness. But many of us have not entered into our God-ordained destiny, individually and corporately. Because our destiny is not just to survive until the rapture. I remember growing up, I'm 49 years old, I remember growing up in the Assemblies of God, and in, in youth group we had something called rapture drill. So the youth pastor would be preaching along, and, and some kid would yell, rapture drill, and we'd all jump on our feet and jump as high as we could, you know, practicing for the rapture. It was the 1970s. Look, I believe Jesus is coming, but Jesus is not coming back for a beat-up church that's barely holding on, hiding from the Antichrist. No matter how bad things get around, he's coming back for a church victorious without spot or wrinkle. Do you know what spots and wrinkles are? signs of old age. Let me say it this way. When Jesus comes back, he's not coming back for a spiritually decrepit church that's lost its reproductive capability. This is not about physical age, it's about spirit. When Jesus comes back, he's coming back for a church that's alive, that's vibrant, that is reproducing people into the kingdom of God. But 
The people believed the negative report of the ten spies. So God said, this entire generation is going to die out, except Joshua and Caleb, who had the faith to believe the spies that came back and said, God can give us the land. And in the midst of the wilderness, God did not forsake them. Now think about it. God took care of the manna every day. I mean, that, that's pretty good. When you get hungry, you don't, have to, you don't have to till the ground. You don't have to work the soil. You don't have to slaughter the animal. All you do is go out and pick some bread up off the ground and eat it. You know what? That's a place of blessing, but it's a place of just maintenance blessing. Think about this. How many of you think you get a little tired of eating manna every single day for 40 years? Now, you skinny people, close your ears. Have you, the rest of you, have you ever heard of something called the Atkins diet? Remember that thing? You know, no vegetables, but you can eat meat. That sounded like a good diet to me. So I tried that thing. I mean, I would sit and eat a steak, slather with butter, butter, and a side of bacon. Now that's a diet. <laughs> Two weeks into this diet, I was begging for cauliflower. <laughs> when it's just the same old, same old, it doesn't matter how good it is, it becomes old. It becomes um, uh, where we get used to it and so no longer value it. God took care of the people, but it was just a miracle to survive, not a miracle to be more than overcomers. They had shoes and clothes that didn't wear out. Wandering in a desert for 40 years. Now, ladies, let me ask you. How many of you consider yourselves blessed to have one outfit and one pair of shoes for 40 years? It may come back in style after 40 years, but... You know what? The place where God took care of the people, he fed them. He made sure they didn't die. When the enemy came against them, God defended them. But God has more for you and I than just freeing us and feeding us. He wants to fulfill us. He wants to bring us into a place where we know him intimately and we express him extravagantly. To see his kingdom come. We've all prayed the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In the original Greek there, that's not a request. It is a, it is a command. Not commanding God, but speaking through God's authority. As we talked about earlier in one of the songs about being seated with Christ in heavenly places. Bringing heaven to earth. We are speaking, and that, that, that prayer there is speaking into our sphere of influence and saying, kingdom of God, rule of God, authority of Christ, come and be manifest in my sphere of authority right. and influence in my family, in my job, in my life, so that truly the nation would see you, the world would see your city would see that church is not just a place where a few people go on Sunday morning, but the church is the bride of Christ. Back several years ago at Bethel Temple in Hampton where we were part of the apostolic team for about 10 years, I, I, in a worship service one time I saw a vision. And in the vision I saw a picture of a beautiful bride. And as I looked at her, she had on the, the wedding headdress and veil and the beautiful dress. And I looked down at her feet. I was expecting to see the kind of shoes that Kim wore on her wedding day. You know, white lace pumps with, with pearls and all this other stuff on it. But instead, in the vision, this bride had on big, clunky, muddy combat boots. And the Lord said, this is my church. She is a bride with combat boots. Passionately in love with Jesus, but fighting the battles of the Lord. 
The church in America has been made too often an audience instead of an army. You're not called to sit there and be entertained with us preachers flapping our gums and throwing money at us hoping that we might deign to actually touch you and bless you. Our job as leaders is not to impress you, it's not to rule you. Our job as leaders is to serve you so that you will go further than we ever do. Amen. Ephesians 2 says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus being the chief cornerstone. You know where the fivefold ministry belongs, especially apostles and prophets? We belong with our face in the dirt. You walk into a building, do you look at the foundation and say, wow, what an amazing foundation? Where's the foundation at? It's hidden in the dirt, in the muck, in the mire, with the, the, the snakes and the worms and the bugs. You know where true apostles and prophets are? They're not up here for you to kiss their apostolic ring. They don't stand and say, give me a thousand dollars and I'll give you a prophecy that will change your life. True apostles and prophets are not being trampled down by the church. We willingly say, God, I plant my face in the dirt so that the body of Christ can climb on my back. And my job is not to prophesy to all of you. My job and our job is to equip you because you know what? Stafford does not care that I'm here today. But you're in their life. You are in their life. God wants to use you as that front line bride with combat boots, the army of God. And so I believe God is bringing forth a different generation, a, a, a new way, if you will, of doing church. Now, God doesn't change. His word doesn't change. But the way he works through us must change. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, God said through the prophet, forget the former things, don't dwell on the past. I'm doing a new thing. Remember, this is not throwing out doctrine. This is not throwing out God and his word, which is what some people are doing today. They want to make Jesus acceptable so they no longer consider him the one way, the one truth, and the one life. He just becomes one of many ways in a politically correct, uh, tolerant society. No, I'm not talking about devaluing the word of God and devaluing Jesus. But the way we've always done things. Have you ever heard the definition of insanity? Continue doing the thing, with things the way you've always done them and expect different results. I mean, you know, if the, if the nation's going to be changed, something's got to happen. Something different. How many of you have ever heard a good sermon? How many of you ever heard a great sermon? I mean, every Sunday, right? Every Sunday. You ever been in an awesome worship service? I mean, I, I love the worship we, we did. You ever been in a place where... It, just caught up in the presence of God in worship? You ever heard a prophecy that, I mean, they're, they're prophesying, man, you feel like you go take the devil on all by yourself? You ever been in a magnificent church building? The church we were a part of built a $15 million building. It wasn't even a sanctuary. It was a coffee shop and offices. Huh. $15 million. Let me ask, if great preaching, awesome worship, thrilling prophecy, magnificent buildings would have changed America Shouldn't it have happened already? I'm not against preaching and buildings. What I'm saying is we can't rely on the pulpit to be what changes America. Our job is to equip you. You are the change agents. So the wilderness generation wanders until that entire generation dies out, except Joshua and Caleb and Moses in Deuteronomy 30 calls Israel to them. The Joshua generation, the ones that are about to go in and possess the land. 
And he begins to speak to them, and he says in verse, let's see where it is, verse 15 of Deuteronomy 30. Moses said, See, I said before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase. Remember, Pastor had to say the word increase. You will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you're not obedient, if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, boy, you could preach this to America on July 4th weekend, couldn't you? If you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live, that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I believe God has a promised land, if you will use that terminology, for every one of us. And I don't believe that promised land is heaven. Let me explain. When they got to the promised land, when they got to Jericho, there were enemies there. They had to do battle. I don't know about you. When I get to heaven, I'm not planning on having to do any battle. God's already taking care of the enemies. Your promised land is not just pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. Your promised land is God's presence and power in and through your life. How does Psalm 139 say, before any one of your days even came to be, God wrote every day of your life in the books of heaven. God has purposed you for a reason. And it doesn't matter what your story is. How many of you have a story? <laughs> Got some good, bad, and ugly of the past. I love the way my pastor, Ron Johnson, says it. He says, your, your identity is not your history, it's your destiny. Hear that again. Your identity, who you are, is not based on your history. It's based on your destiny. You are not known by what you once were. You're known for who God's making you. And that's what the prophetic comes along to do, not to beat you up for your past, but to say, here's the plan that God has for you. Arise and go. Possess the land. So Moses said, here's life and blessing. Here's death and cursing. And then he says, choose life. And I, I used to read right past that, and one day it hit me. I, I thought, why did he have to tell him to choose life? I mean, if I had a million dollars here and a guy with a gun standing here to shoot you and said, make a decision, choose the money. It's, it's the best choice. How I many of you know you don't need somebody to tell you what the best choice is? So why did Moses have to tell them to choose life? Here's my take on it. I believe choosing life is something we do by an active decision of our will Choosing death is what we do by default. You hear what I'm saying? If we are not actively, passionately running after the life of Christ, by default we've chosen death. So what is God saying to a generation in transition? He's saying make a decision. Just like Elijah on Mount Carmel. How long are you going to waver between two opinions? If God's got to follow him, if Bill's got to follow him. And I believe God's saying that to America. I believe God's saying that to the church in America. What are you going to do? What are you going to be? Are you going to play the game? Or are you going to be sold out to Jesus? And that God is bringing forth a generation that are going to say, God, I am all yours. I'm all in. And God's going to raise this generation up to do great and mighty things for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so we know, we see the story here. Moses said, choose life. 
um, he said a few verses earlier, he said, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you. It's not beyond your ability. You don't have to have an angel come from heaven and tell you what to do. You don't have to go somewhere and have somebody come from another part of the world and give it to you. It's already in your mouth to obey. You know, we hear stories. Chicago saw about these encounters with Jesus. Kim saw about this, this, this uh, uh, gift of the Spirit working through her and the Margaret. We can tell you about stories and experiences we've had, and sometimes we say, God, if I could just have that kind of experience, then I could live it out. I love experiences with God, but my walk with Jesus is not based on how many angels I've seen or how many times I've heard God's audible voice. You understand what I'm trying to say here? We don't look and say, if I could just have that experience, then I can serve God. God says, no, you don't have to have an angel come. You don't have to go to the latest revival place. It's already in you by his word and his spirit. So there's no excuse. Hey, go ahead and receive. I love to see angels. I love to receive the blessings of God. But we don't have to uh, wait for that to be able to sell out all to Christ. So Moses said, what I'm commanding you today is available to you. You're able to do this. I want to talk just for a moment about how we transition from that wilderness generation that died into the Joshua generation that possessed God's promises. In Joshua chapter 1, God said to Joshua, Moses is dead, now get up and go. Let me rephrase that. I believe God's saying, the past is over, it's dead, quit living there, get up and do something with your life. <laughs> See, I, I love people, I love pastors, but I thank God I ain't a pastor. See, I can come and preach, pray, prophesy, and leave. They have to put up with you. They're, they're, have you ever met somebody, their whole identity is built around their pain? The whole identity is built around what they went through. I don't mean this harshly, but my attitude is get healed and get a life. Get healed. Jesus loves you. But you don't have to live in the past. Get healed and then get a life. Move on. So God said to Joshua, Moses is dead. The way Moses did things is not the way of today. Think about Moses as a type of leadership. He wasn't with the people. He was away from the people. He would go to the mountain, get the word from God, come down, his face shone with the glory of God. The people said, we can't stand to see the unveiled glory. Remember, because they would die if they saw God face to face. Veil your face. So Moses went to the mountain. He gave the word to the people. And that type of leadership got the people free, but it never got them into fulfillment. I believe there's a shift in leadership. Joshua, God said to Joshua, Joshua 1, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. In other words, in the same way, the same level of anointing Moses had, you have. But look at Joshua. Joshua was not separate from the people. He was in the trenches with the people. God is giving us men and women in leadership today that are not saying, I'm the CEO, I'm the apostle, I'm the prophet, you can't come near to me. But we say no matter what my position or, or function in, is in the body, I'm part of the body. I'm not up here untouchable. I'm with you in the midst of the battle. How many of you know that is what we need? We need it in government. We need it in business. We need it in the church. People don't trust the kind of leader that's untouchable anymore. 
That kind of leader will get you free, but will not get you into fulfillment. So God is not only bringing forth a different kind of leadership, but a different kind of people. Think about the wilderness generation. They followed God as long as God was taking care of them. But as soon as something wasn't going their way, they started complaining and murmuring and said, we're going back to Egypt. It's what I call the spoiled child syndrome. You ever seen a kid out somewhere want something from mom or dad, and they scream, they holler, they throw a fit, and, you know, and finally the, the parent just gives in just to shut them up? Sometimes if you look at God in the wilderness with the people of Israel, it seems almost like he did that at times. Is that for me? Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. Pastor, I'm hot too. So, But, um, you know, here's, here's the thing. They would say, God, if you don't do it our way, we're going back to Egypt. They were spoiled little children. You know what God says to us? Like Paul said, when I became a man, I put away childish things. Some of you have not been saved for very long. I want us to understand something. You don't have to be a Christian for 20 years to become mature in Christ. God is doing a quick work. It doesn't mean you're going to bypass the struggles to become the man or woman of God he's called you to be. But it does mean we shouldn't be making excuses for a lack of growth in our life. It's time to grow up. Put away childish things. The will of this generation were constantly finding fault with their leaders. I was in a church one time. I don't remember where it was. We were at camp. But um, I, I saw a vision. I saw like earthquake fault lines through the church. And I felt the Lord saying that the enemy had been trying to shake the church apart. And the, the, the uh, cause of the fault lines was people finding fault with one another and with their leaders. See, sometimes, how many of you know none of us are perfect? As much as a man or woman of God as this couple is, they're not perfect. Ask their kids. <laughs> They're not perfect. Does it mean we pick them apart to make ourselves feel better? We pick them apart to say, well, they need to do it my way. You know, it's something I found that amazed me. I got out of Bible college at 23 years old. I had my BA in Bible, and somebody told me it was my bad attitude in Bible. I was a know-it-all. Anybody ever met a know-it-all? Anybody ever been a know-it-all? A year in our ministry, God got a hold of me and shook me inside and said, Russ, I don't care about your opinion. That shocked me. It's like, God, I'm a Bible college graduate, ordained with the assemblies of God. <laughs> Lord said, big deal. God doesn't care about your opinion. God's going to do what he wants to do, and it's our job to get on his side, not his job to get on our side. So God wants to deal with our opinions. He wants to deal with our desire to make things happen the way we want them to. God has anointed each one of you, but you're, the anointing of God in your life does not mean you're a leader. All people, all Christians are called to be anointed. Not all are called to be leaders within the house of God. I believe if we are really secure, there will be people under the influence of my ministry that are more anointed than I am. Because the anointing does not make leadership. The calling makes leadership. And preparation and all the other things. So God wants to use you. But just because you see an angel or you lay hands on a sick person and they get healed doesn't give you the authority to tell the pastor how to run the church. Which is how the wilderness generation wanted it. They wanted to tell the leaders how to do things. 
I don't want to be part of that wilderness generation. I want to be part, part of the Joshua generation. These were men and women that said, it doesn't matter what it costs us. I have time to go into all the story of all they went through. You look at, at what um, God said to them. He said, get ready, prepare yourselves so for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. He said, go to Gilgal and there's a circumcision going to happen because I've got to prepare you to go into the land. You know what? We can sometimes exist in the blessing of God and hold on to the flesh. But if we want to get into the kingdom of God, the place where his kingdom is advancing forcefully, then we better let God cut away the flesh of our hearts. Because we're playing with fire and danger when we try to operate the things of the spirit while holding on to the things of the flesh. So God said, get ready, prepare yourselves. He told them in uh, Joshua 3, I think it was, he said, follow the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, that was the place where God's presence and glory dwelt. Follow the Ark because the way you're going is the way you've never been before. I want us to understand something. What God's about to do is not going to look like the revival of 10 years ago or 50 years ago or 100 years ago. What God's doing in, in our lives is not going to look like what God's doing in the African-American church or what God's doing in the white church. What God's about to do is going to be a work beyond the scope of anything that we've known, anything that we've seen. That means we've got to put aside our preconceived ideas of what revival is. I believe that everything is up for grabs except the Word of God, Jesus himself. That means positions, philosophies of ministry, everything. God is about to say, follow the cloud of my glory. In fact, an evangelist friend of mine puts it this way, we're going after the cloud, not after the crowd. Amen. See, there are people today, they will, they will soft sell the message. There's a pastor today in America, he wrote a book a couple, three years ago called Your Best Life Now. And one particular preacher said, if you're going to have your best life on this earth, you must be heading to hell. God wants to bless us, but God is not in the business of just trying to make us happy. He wants to make us holy. Will he bless us? Yes. But we've got to follow after his presence and his glory. Moses, when he came out of the backside of the desert, before leading the people of Israel out of bondage, he said, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go. Let me phrase it this way. God, without your presence, I don't want to fulfill my destiny. Can we say that? Can we say, God, I don't want to be famous. I want to be rich. I don't want to be powerful if I don't have your presence. That was the heart of Moses. That's the heart of the kind of people that God's raising up in this day and this hour. So Moses draws the people to him. He gives them a challenge. And then he reminds them, Deuteronomy 28, 29, he reminds them of the blessing of God. God wants to remind you that he's not called you just to survive these last days. He's called us to be more than conquerors. He's called us to see his kingdom released. You know, the word tells us to occupy until he comes. The word occupy is a military term. That literally means go into the enemy's territory and the authority of your king, kick the enemy out and take over in the name of the king. The enemy is not people. The enemy is the powers of hell. The people are the prize we're going after. So we're not fighting. It's not about Republican, Democrat, or Tea Party. Amen. <laughs> Weren't as many amens there. How do we say up there, and you know, uh, that, that salvation will come through God alone for this nation? This election is not going to determine, I believe, the future of America. I believe the church in these next few months is going to determine the future of this nation. 
not what happens in the White House. What we've got to understand is God's looking for people that are willing to say, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you, your kingdom, your glory. And God, uh, through Moses, reminded the people of what he wanted to do. Read it sometime in Deuteronomy 28. It says, if you obey the Lord your God, these blessings are going to walk with you. And one version says, they're going to overtake you. How many of you like to, to live like this? Right? You're just kind of walking along, mind your own business, all of a sudden, you get hit by a blessing. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's how God wants us to live. He wants to bless us. I come back from a trip again. We're together as a family most of the time. But sometimes I have to go by myself somewhere. I come back from a trip, and Kim and Shekinah pick me up at the airport or something, and Shekinah sees me. She runs up, and she hugs me. Daddy, I miss you. She loves me and all that other stuff. And about 10 or 15 minutes after loving me, and we're in the car on the way home, she'll say, Daddy, did you give me a present? <laughs> Daddy's heart loves to bless but if she came to me first and said, hey, I didn't miss you, but what'd you get me? There'd be some problems. God loves to bless, but we're not after the blessing. We're after the blesser. We're after him. He is the prize. But God said, you'll be blessing the city, blessing the country. Your needing trough will be blessed. Your, your barns or all these things. It says uh, the fruit of your womb will be blessed. I believe that means not only is God going to give us children, but that our children do not have to backslide. Please hear what I'm saying. Thank you. If you have a child or grandchild that's backslidden, this is not condemnation. You can still believe God's going to bring them back. But you know what the promise that says, raise up a child on the way they will go, train a child on the way they will go, when they're old, not depart from it. That, in proper language, in, in the original language, it doesn't mean train up a child and when they turn a teenager or 20s, they'll walk away from God and when they, you know, before they die, they'll get right. In the original language, it means train up a child, and until they are old, they will not depart. God can give us this generation. We don't have to lose them for a decade or two. Said God said, I'm going to make you the head and not the tail. I believe that's been misapplied. You know, does God love to bless? Sure he does. But here's my contention being the head and not the tail. Which leads the way on an animal, the head or the tail? You know what, for too long, the church has been the tail following the world leading the way. We've adopted their styles, their, their methodology, their way of thinking, their way of talking, somehow trying to be relevant. That is completely opposite. God has called the church to be the head. I believe the greatest leadership in every dimension of society ought to come out of the people of God. We are to be the head and not the tail. It says if an enemy comes against you in one direction, it's going to flee from you in seven. You know what seven is? It's a number of completion. It tells me this. Every enemy, God's promised me complete victory. Not just partial victory, complete victory. These are the blessings that God is wanting us to live in. But it's going to take a people that are willing to grow up. A people willing to die to self. First time I went to Europe where they use... Um, uh, 220 electrical power instead of 110. We were with a prophet, was our mentor, and he began preaching on the, the, the secret to real power. He said it was 220, Galatians 220. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But it's not me who lives, it's Christ in me. So we understand the key to all of this is not who we are in Christ, but who Christ is in us. 
It's not about what I can do in him. It's about what he can do through me. I know sometimes it's a matter of just uh, semantics and language, but I've had people look at me and say, Jesus doesn't heal anymore. We do. And I'll say, come on, guys, don't get yourself too important. We may be the vessel, but he's still the healer. He's still the miracle worker. We only a vessel and a clay vessel at that. God's bringing forth a Joshua generation, an army, that's going to march through the land. Let me close with these thoughts. In Joshua chapter 5, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joshua. If you remember, uh, the angel said, take your, take your shoes off your feet to Joshua. The place you're saying is holy ground. That was not just an angel. It was the angel of the Lord, which is another term for the pre-incarnate Christ. It was the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Because an angel doesn't tell you to take off your shoes. Only God does. Take off your shoes, place on his holy ground. Then Joshua said to him, whose side are you on? Isn't it amazing? When God shows up, people automatically want to know whose side are you on? What style of music do you like? What kind of color carpet do you like in the church? People are always arguing about little things that make no difference. I heard of a, now this was probably in Arkansas. I don't know if you've ever been to the Midwest or, or Arkansas. It's like another nation. <laughs> but, um, and uh, I, I heard of a true story of a pastor in Arkansas. He went to a church that was famous for chewing pastors up every six months or nine months and spitting them out. And, and this, you know, just good old boy, redneck pastor uh, walked into the pulpit his first Sunday there with a shotgun. <laughs> he didn't point at anybody, he just set it down and said, I'm here and I'm pastor, get used to it. I'm not advocating that style of leadership. What I am saying is this, we've got to quit arguing over who's right and who's wrong about style and all these other things. When the angel of the Lord came, Joshua said, whose side are you on? The angel said, nobody's side. I'm here to command God's army. Here's the way we phrase it. When God shows up, he doesn't come to take sides. He comes to take over. God is about to take over his church. And he's purposed you to have a place to play in it, a part to play. Have you ever looked at a key? For a key to work properly, every point on that key got, has to be functioning. There are tall points, short points. There are some places that get a lot of attention, some places that seem to do nothing. But unless every point on the key is in place functioning and sharpened, the key won't open the door. You know God's called this church corporately as a key into the city. And you're a point on the key. Every one of you. If you're not in place functioning, doing what God's called you to do, this key cannot operate fully. But have you ever watched somebody make a key? What do they do? They take that blank piece of metal and, and, and they put it in what? A grinder. Anybody feel like God's had you in the grinder lately? You know what he's doing? He's preparing you to fulfill a destiny. You are free, you are fed, but now you need to walk into God-ordained fulfillment. So the angel said, I'm going to command God's army. And what did he tell Joshua? Didn't say build a, a battering ram and beat the walls down. He didn't say build a ladder and scale the walls. He said march around the walls one time a day for six days saying nothing. 
Seven day march around seven times. On the seventh time, shout, blow the trumpets, and the walls will fall. If you were a soldier in Israel's army waiting for the command to take the city, and your commander said this, what would you think? <laughs> think maybe I'm sniffing bath salts. <laughs> it makes no sense. God's looking for people that don't try to rationalize the supernatural away. I'm not saying be weird or flaky just to be weird. I, I, I've met a lot of Christians I call granola Christians, nuts, flakes, and fruits. <laughs> you don't have to be weird to prove you're anointed. You ever met people like that? You know, they walk around like their head stuck on a cloud somewhere. Jesus is more anointed than any of us, and yet he could have conversations not only with believers, but sinners. Anyway. God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He does things that make no sense to us. We have next to nothing left. Financially, God says give. We feel like we've blown it. We haven't prayed as we should. We got mad driving behind some slow person. Of course, I never do that. I never try to speed. And you get to church... I mean, Kim and I have been married 28 years. We have a great marriage, everything else. But I, I believe in getting there early. She was raised in a family where getting there 20 minutes late was no big deal. So sometimes we're on the way to church. We don't have two cars because we're always just traveling. So we're on the way to church. She's late. I'm angry. Yeah, thank you. We get to church. They're praying. She sits over there. I sit over there. I always sit next to her. Of course, after a few minutes of praying, I sheepishly go over, I'm sorry, because right, guys, we always, no, I won't go there. <laughs> but you know what I found? Even when I'm upset, even when I haven't done everything right, that doesn't stop God from using me. We are imperfect, and yet God loves us there. Don't you like uh, the way Zephaniah 3.17 puts it? He rejoices over us with singing. The, the Hebrew words there is a, is a picture that God, when he looks at you, is not going, what is wrong with him? <laughs> Ever feel like God is looking at you like that? When God looks at you, Zephaniah says, he looks at you and he's going, we, over you. Wow. It's an awesome thought. That doesn't mean we get away with sin. It means in spite of our sin, God is working on us, yes, but he still is passionately in love with you. So the Lord says, I want to bring forth a people that will be obedient even when it doesn't make sense. They will witness when they feel like they will be, they, they can't answer the questions they're going to be called upon to answer. They're called to lay hands on the sick when they're scared nothing will happen. They're called to stand up at work or in the halls of government, wherever it is, and stand for Christ even when they know it might mean getting passed by for a promotion. God's looking for people that will take the way that makes no sense to man. I was preaching at Mardi Gras one time down in New Orleans. An older man grabbed me by the arm, not violently, wanted to get my attention. But next to his wife said, I want to get a picture of one of you Jesus freaks with my wife. I said, fine, here I am. So he took my picture. Before I walked away, 
I looked him square in his face and I said, you're right, I'm a freak for Jesus. Whose freak are you? <laughs> There's a song in the world, everybody's somebody's fool. You can be a fool for religion, a fool for money, a fool for whatever. But God's looking for people that would be a fool for Jesus. And it's that kind of Joshua generation of faith, obedience, humility, body together, not finding fault with one another, but supporting one another. Nobody up here and there's somebody else down here. It's that kind of people that God's going to raise up and we're going to see God's kingdom released. We're going to see the authority of Jesus manifest in our cities and in our nations. So I want to challenge you. It's July 1st. As we're coming into July 4th weekend. This is not about America alone. I love this nation, but America is not God's chosen people. The church is God's chosen people. I want to see our nation turn back to God. But you know what? No matter what way America goes, God is raising up a church that's going to, be, uh, it's going to exemplify and manifest His glory. God's called you to be a part of that. Some of you, you're facing your own walls, your own barriers, your own Jericho. You say, I want to enter into what God's promised, but I'm fighting a battle, and it seems like no matter what I do, there's an obstacle, a barrier there. Today we want to bring a belief with you for God to bring down the walls. When God brings down the walls, remember they shouted, the walls fell, they went in and took the city. God's not going to take the city for you, but he will bring down the walls so you can go in and take it. God's not just going to throw it your way. He expects us to arise in faith and possess what he's promised. But he's going to make the way where there doesn't seem to be a way. And we want to believe with you today for God to break open barriers, for God to bring you into fulfillment and freedom, and then corporately, that God's going to show us how we fit as a body. He's going to sharpen us. He's going to show us our niche, our place, our gifting, our anointing, our calling. And God's going to bring forth a bride with combat boots, a Joshua generation. Stand to your feet with me if you would. Kim, Shekinah, come join me, please. Congregation, thank you for your patience. Lord, we ask for the release of your spirit. God, we pray that your word, God, in the midst of my many words that can